Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we will explore China's new model of international development cooperation. International development assistance has long been an important component of China's foreign policy. The Chinese aid model combines aid with commercially oriented trade and investment ventures. Its foundational concept is that since China is a developing country, its aid should be mutually beneficial, serving both the recipients and China's economic development goals. In early January, China's State Council released a new white paper on this topic, the first since 2014. The paper contains an important shift in terminology away from international development aid to international development cooperation. This shift in terminology reflects a change in policy. With the government now calling for a more cooperative relationship with other nations around the world, this has taken the form of greater emphasis on South-South cooperation, untied aid money, and greater provision of public goods around the world. However, while the language and position of the Chinese government has shifted, what this policy means for both China and the world in practice remains unclear and requires attention and study. Here to discuss China's new model of international development cooperation, I am joined by Stella Hong Zhang. Stella previously served as an international journalist for China's Caixin Media, and is currently a PhD candidate at the Shaw School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Her research interests include China's role in international development, the internationalization of China's development state. And the overseas expansion of China's state-owned enterprises. Thanks for joining us today, Stella. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us about the role of development aid in advancing China's broader foreign policy objectives? And what does the new white paper tell us about China's development aid objectives and the toolbox that it's using to advance those objectives? I think this white paper makes it very clear that development cooperation is going to be a very core component of China's foreign policy grand strategy. So, using development aid or development cooperation, I think China wants to be seen as a progressive force in global governance, as a development solution provider in a sense. So, I think this happens in the context of Xi's more assertive foreign policy, the shift in China's diplomacy from the focus on the major power relations. To relationship with other countries, developing countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and also Eastern Europe. So I think this is a strategic move in recognition of China's comparative advantage in the international system as a global economic powerhouse, especially after the the global financial crisis really discredited Western economies. So I think China wants to use this development impact to legitimize its role as a global leader. And I also noticed that in this white paper, for the first time, it states that it is the responsibility as a major country for China to provide international development cooperation. So compared to previous white papers, the narrative was more like, oh, China was a very poor country, as a developing country. It wasn't supposed to provide so much aid to other countries, but it did anyway. So I think it's an interesting shift in in the tone. And also, it mentions that China is willing to provide more public goods, which I think is is a subtle reminder. Of the U.S. retrenchment from this role during the Trump administration, and so in terms of the the toolkits, I think what this white paper makes clear is also that 
What China has is not just money. It's not just development finance that China can provide. China's development cooperation engagement takes many other forms as well. So, for example, there is technology transfer or cooperation in developing technologies such as satellites, or you know, nowadays it's very controversial the IT sector. And also, there's a lot of human resources training, workshops for developing country officials, scholars for developing country students, things like that. And and I also want to highlight that China spends a lot of diplomatic effort in various of regional forums to discuss development needs in these countries and see how these countries' development agendas can align with China's own. So we are very familiar with such forums as the Focus China Forum on China-Africa Cooperation or Shanghai Cooperation. Organization, but there are others. China has regional forums with Latin America, Caribbean countries, Pacific Islands, Portuguese-speaking countries, Arab countries. So these forums were were not new. They were most of them started during Hu Jintao's time. But I think Xi Jinping just gives them a much higher profile. So there are many many ways China can engage in development cooperation with other countries. So you wrote this really interesting thread on Twitter on the white paper, and you highlighted the use of the Chinese phrase "zhengjue," the "yili guan," which, as you wrote, translates roughly to the correct philosophy on public good and interest. And you noted that the Chinese government is really pledging to serve the public good over interest, which is different from the past. So. Do you think that this is actually going to be realized in Chinese foreign policy? Are they going to prioritize public good? And have you seen this tension in Chinese foreign policy in the past? And you think this will change? To me, this sounds like more like rhetoric than than a real change in the substance. But it's interesting why there's such an emphasis for the need of a correct view or correct philosophy. It implies that there has been an, an incorrect view. Of course, this is very subtle, but I think this may speak more to the domestic audience than the international audience, because you know there's always been skepticism or doubts over China's responsibility to provide resources to other countries when many people in China are still living in, in relatively poor conditions and they are in need of a lot of investment into public services. So. I think by drawing this kind of moral values from the Confucian teaching, it's a way、uh, for the political leader, for Xi Jinping, to promote this normative idea and to, in a way, legitimize China's policy choices. In terms of the tensions in China's past foreign aid practices, I think since the the 1980s, foreign aid was always approached in a very pragmatic way. It was considered as part of China's broader international economic ex- exchange. So, China was also very actively using foreign aid, partly to promote its exports. So, it's very interest-based. But I think now, for the greater overall foreign policy goals that China is trying to realize, to be perceived as a global leader, China needs to provide this kind of moral framing for what it's doing in foreign aid or development cooperation. I feel that's the reason why this term was brought up. Of course, it's not just for development cooperation. This 正确的义理观 has been used in foreign policy in general toward developing countries.
There's a section in the white paper on improving the governance of developing countries. And we know that Xi Jinping has talked about leading global governance reforms. So it's interesting to me that this is now being talked about in the context of development aid. And it raises questions, at least for me, about whether China is in fact seeking to promote, push, export, whatever word you want to use, um, its governance model abroad. So I wonder how you think about that. Do you think that there is evidence that China is actually trying to push its model abroad or components of its model? Or do you think that that is not taking place? Because there's a debate about this among China watchers. Yeah, you're right. I think the key to answer this question probably depends on what we mean by model. So if model means, you know, the Chinese political system or the Chinese economic institutions, I don't think China's goal is to have other countries adopt these things. But I think what you mentioned were clear indications that China is seeking to disseminate a kind of discourse, its own discourse over China's development achievement and how China's governance contributed to that development achievement. So uh, I think China's goal is more moderate in the sense that it wants to create a kind of sympathetic understanding of why Chinese governance system is appropriate for China and how China's approaches have contributed to or China's approach has been the result of the Communist Party's experiment and exploration in, in China. I mean, by doing these things, China's really hoping to impress the other countries rather than, you know, having them adopt these things. But I do think that if by model we mean the specific components, the technocratic solutions to development with regard to industrial policy or development planning, I think, yes, I think China does try to disseminate these practices. But I think this is also driven probably more by interest than by ideology, because I think China sees that having other countries adopt similar approaches or having the same similar sets of priorities will help with the alignment of development agenda between China's and the other countries. And China is also in a position to provide such services to other countries. You know, there are hundreds of planning institutes in China that stand to benefit from this market if they can provide such services. So, yeah, I think this is just a more technocratic approach. A central component of this new white paper is that China will only engage in international development at a level commensurate with its own development level and its domestic capacity. So what is the message that Beijing is delivering in this statement? And then what are the policy implications? I think by this statement, there are probably two messages. One is that China wants to re-emphasize its self-identified role as a developing country. So it's a member of a global south rather than global north. So I think it has implications for international obligations, such as in the trade context or in, in the emission reduction and also in, in aid provision, because the traditional donors had this promise that they will contribute up to 0.7% of their GMP as development assistance. So China will not want to have such kind of targets imposed on itself. And I think in general, just China just wants to maintain its autonomy 
in the decision making about the forms and the amount of contribution China puts on the table, and also the level of participation in international initiatives. In March 2018, China established、uh, the China International Development Cooperation Agency, and my understanding is that this was intended to elevate the political importance of foreign aid. To better align the country's aid agenda with its overall foreign policy, and also to tackle a bureaucratic fragmentation, and particularly there has been a turf war over foreign aid portfolio between the Ministry of Commerce and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So, can you talk a bit about how this new institution is functioning, and is it effectively dealing with some of these problems? In a sense, yes. What was clear, what the CITCA has been able to do is it takes over the the aid planning or the policy planning function from the Ministry of Commerce. But still, the Ministry of Commerce still responsible for the implementation of specific aid projects. So you have the CITCA, which is functions more like the brain, but the Ministry of Commerce is now the doer. So there is now a clear division of labor here. And also, I think Sitka so far has been able to interact with many countries. Sitka has been signing a lot of development cooperation agreements with other countries. I think this is going in the direction where the Sitka will be making more country-specific cooperation plans, because in the past we don't know what what are the guidelines, what were the guidelines for for transferring aid allocation. Well, we're trying to strategies in each countries. So I think going forward, the CITCA will have a clear idea. They will have more specific strategies for for countries rather than just have a very general, very vague guideline. So in that sense, also we are seeing interesting changes. And like you said, CITCA's role is to better align China's foreign aid and development cooperation with the foreign policy, which I think is also addressing a weakness. In China's past practices, which, as I mentioned before, it was very much driven by economic interests. Has the role of the foreign ministry then been circumscribed? No, actually, if you visit the website of Sitka, it has all kinds of、um, information about the foreign ministry. They are relaying, you know, the messages from the foreign ministry. So it's quite clear that the it's getting, you know, political instruction from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And it, it's what Sika is supposed to do. The new white paper links the Belt and Road Initiative to other major international campaigns and initiatives. One example is the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. What's the purpose of framing China's development cooperation in this way? And in what way does China's provision of public goods through the Belt and Road Initiative? Differ from the development aid that is provided by other donors, like you know Western donors, the U.S. and European countries, and Japan. I think there can be two ways to read such framing of China's international development cooperation in terms of the BRI and in terms of the UN agenda. One way is to see it as articulating two sets of guidelines for China's development cooperation practices. So they would need to serve both the domestic agenda of the BRI and also the global agenda of the sustainable development. 
So in terms of the five pillars of the BRI and also the 17 goals of the UN agenda. So this can be seen as some kind of more codified guideline rather than like before, it was much general, much vaguer in terms of what kind of objectives Chinese development assistance was supposed to achieve. And the second way to read these framings is that they serve certain political purposes. To name the projects and put them into the boxes of the five pillars in BRI is a way for the technocrats to show their political leader that they have been advancing the BRI goals. And also by framing it in terms of the UN agenda is also a way to speak to the international audience to legitimize China's practices. You recently published a paper that's entitled China's Manifesto for Leadership in Global Development. And you state in that paper that China's non-interference principle is starting to be reconceptualized, with the Chinese government putting the people of a country at the center of a development aid policy rather than the government of that nation. So that's a really interesting development. How successful? Has the new interpretation been in influencing China's international development aid policy? And maybe you can cite some recent examples of this new interpretation being applied in China's international relationships. So let me clarify that there has not been any official reinterpretation of this principle. But what I have seen is that it's been discussed by some senior officials with government-affiliated think tanks. So I think that's quite indicative of the kind of changes in the thinking. But I think the core principle of non-interference, which is not taking a stance in internal political partisan politics or political conflicts, I think that remains unchanged, as we can see in China's recent attitude towards the coup in Myanmar. But what is changing is that the scope of the stakeholders China might want to interact with might be changing. China realized that in the past, it has exclusively deal with governments. But once the government changed, once the other parties come into power, the Chinese projects often come into trouble. So they realized that they need to broaden their outreach to other stakeholders as well. The examples I can think of is that in Pakistan, Indonesia, and Sri Lanka, the Chinese Communist Party has set up an inter-party consultation mechanism to discuss BRI-related issues. So that may be a way, that could be uh, something that's quite indicative of what China's trying to do to broaden its interlocutors and try to engage others to communicate China's development cooperation engagement. So there are some new things that are included in this white paper that were in prior white papers, but yet I think there's probably things that remain opaque about China's strategy. And I'm curious what they are and whether the issue of China's aid, particularly in terms of its amount, is as sensitive as it has been in the past. Uh, China's always been reluctant to make public how much money it actually provides for foreign assistance. Nobody knows what the actual dollar amount is, except in some individual cases, they become known. But the overall amount and percentage of China's budget, it's always been really secret. 
So what are the aspects of this, maybe the international development cooperation strategy that are still unclear and what remains opaque about China's strategy? In terms of the amount of aid, actually China does announce or make public such figures in the white papers, but it gives a total sum. It announced that up to 2018, China has provided so much grants and interest-free loans and concessional loans, but we don't know the year-by-year breakdowns. And also, it's it's not announced in advance, right? It's only the after fact. But the thing about the transparency in China's foreign aid statistics, they do sometimes provide the figures in the intergovernmental agreements, but it's not clear how such fund is used. And what's the decision-making process for such funds to be used in specific projects? In terms of what's, what, what remains vague about China's international cooperation strategy, I think what I would like to know, and I believe many researchers on transforming aid would like to know, is, like I said, what's the, what's the decision-making process? Like, how is an, a project initiated? Who takes the initiative? Can the coast government come to China to propose a project and who should they talk to, the ambassador or the SITCA or Ministry of Commerce and how such decisions are made? So I think these decision-making processes remain very, very opaque. And and of course, I think as we know, the, the political culture in China is typical for such, especially with regard to foreign policy decisions, they are very opaque and made in a black box. So these things, I think we should continue to see, to continue to look for information and try to find out the answers. From your perspective, is development aid very sensitive among the public? I think it's widely believed that the Chinese people might not support a large amount of money being given to other countries to help them develop when China is still developing. Yeah, exactly. I think it is a little bit sensitive, but the problem is also that the general public doesn't really quite understand what's the nature of China's foreign aid and what it entails. Because I said before, actually China's aid money has been used to promote Chinese exports, has been used to facilitate the market exploration of Chinese companies. So they do, like the China says, it's a win-win. Like, like they, on the one hand, they may be development resources provided to other countries that might not be otherwise available. On the other hand, they already benefit the Chinese economy. So I think that's something that the Chinese general public doesn't quite understand. But it remains true that when people think about there are so many places where public services can be improved. They would have a hard time understanding why China would prioritize the needs of other countries. So finally, I just wanted to ask a question about whether you see any evidence in this white paper of the experience of handling the pandemic, because there's this new section in the white paper on humanitarian assistance. So do you think the pandemic factor had an impact at all on how China's thinking about humanitarian assistance? Can you see this in the white paper? To start with, I think uh, humanitarian aid is not new for China. China has been providing that. But in the past, it's mostly in the context of post-disaster relief, that kind of thing. But of course, in recent years, at least since the Ebola outbreak, 
China also provided some assistance for the endemic. But I think it's probably true that um, the reason why there is a specific section on humanitarian assistance probably has to do with a pandemic that's still going on. Well, we've been speaking with Stella Hongzhang, who previously was a journalist for Caixin Media and is currently a PhD candidate at the Shaw School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you.